Welcome to the Entertainment Engine. Hi, I'm Pete Moore. And my name's Bex Gregory. And together we are the co-hosts of the Entertainment Engine podcast. We are really excited to share more information about our show. The podcast is for new and existing creatives working in music, film and TV. Weekly, we provide our listeners with information, advice and knowledge to help people navigate a career in the entertainment industry. Plus, we have fantastic guests from the world of entertainment who share their stories with us, where we learn from their experience of working in the entertainment business, built in with some fun facts along the way. So be sure to subscribe on your favourite podcast platform. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Google Podcasts, plus many others. We look forward to welcoming you to the show. We're excited to be back again with part two of the conversation Pete had with Paul Dudridge, Hollywood director and former manager of Michael McIntyre and Rob Brydon. And in this episode, Paul talks about his new coaching app and lots of other great topics. It'd be good to learn more about your coaching app and what you do. So you sort of putting that all in energy into that where people will sort of phone phone you up or book a one-to-one type thing? Yeah, no. So I do. I, I've had my own coaching business since about, but what it was, I got a bit bored in 2009. I've got all this information. And, um, and so I just used to do these free shows in Santa Monica and Hollywood and stuff of just like, and I called it famous in 40 days, basically. And then yeah, luckily an independent, a journalist from the independent was in and wrote this. And it was just this huge piece. And it was, again, this is 2009. All right. And I'm kind of explaining at the time how you can almost in a modular way create your own fame, if you like, you know. And this was before the whole, I mean, this was after Facebook, but before this whole social, this second wave of social media kind of broad self-broadcasting boom had taken place, you know. And uh, I I was, I'm pretty proud of myself because I was kind of telling people at the time, you know, you know, anybody could come actors comedians whatever and then you know i would do my spiel about like you you know there's 40 things if you follow these 40 things you can actually get famous it's not that difficult you know and um but at the time they were kind of like there would be actors coming to the show saying things like okay my agent has advised me not to do reality shows and i would be at the time i was going you must do reality shows 100 percent do reality shows and i've sort of been you know proven right you know you get people like uh, Monique has won an Oscar. She came out of a reality show. Um, what's the girl from Dreamgirls? J- Jennifer Hudson, is it? Jennifer Hudson, that's it. Jennifer Hudson, yeah. Uh, anyway, the point is, came out of Idol USA, you know? And so, but at the time, you know, the industry was saying, don't do reality shows if you want to be yeah. taken seriously as an artist. And I've always yeah. followed the money. Where's the money actually going, you know, and coming from, etc.? And if you do that, you actually make the right decisions, which is why... Michael Caine has had a totally, for me, unblemished career because he 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 sees his job. I, I'm paraphrasing, but he sees his job as being in the Michael Caine business, not in the Jaws Four business. You know, he's in, yeah, yeah, and yeah. that that's why he can do Jaws Four and then go and get an Oscar for Hannah and her sisters. You know, <laughs> it, yeah, exactly. And and so. Uh, so I anyway, so I was extrapolating all this stuff and how you could expanding rather all my wisdom and how you can do something with this. And then people were coming from the shows and going, you know, again, it's a bit like the management story, like sort of uh, 15 years earlier. 
or 20 years earlier at that point, it's like, you know, would you work with us? And it just turned out, I just went, I started charging people. I figured out what I'd been making as an agent, taking away all the staff costs and everything, taking a, taking the whole thing down. I had like 65 clients or something in London. I took it all down and just yeah. like figured out yeah. a monthly figure and so just charge people a monthly figure and all you know all we would do is have these kind of conversations and it was working it started really really working and now i have now i've got in my little roster now i've got like my own little group of sort of i've got a couple of a-listers loads of b-listers lots of complete unknowns yeah but yeah, yeah. now you get rid of now the industry is in is basically inverted you don't need a lot of it's it's really awkward to discuss because the, the, Harvey Weinstein when I came to uh, LA it was yeah. an open secret that that's what was going on you know and there's an argument that he wasn't brought down so much by the me too movement as by Netflix because at one point he was you the only portal for an independent film to get a worldwide release yeah. You change that business model, you suddenly get rid of the need for a gatekeeper and well, it's a bit like, you know, it's a bit like the Germans retreat from Paris, you know what I mean? Like suddenly yeah. there's a yeah, lot yeah. of pent up resentment. Yeah. And so that's yeah. what made it po and that's what's made a lot of stuff possible for people. So um I mean I heard I was contacted by one of the biggest agencies in the world like a month ago to do some project. And uh uh you know, we got talking and they were saying, Can't, and this is like one of the the top four or five agents in the world. And they said they were now earning 10% of what they were earning two years ago. Wow. Really? You know, because wow. what's the, why would somebody hand over 10, 20% of their income to a person that, what are they doing? You know, they're, they're nothing more now than a PA. Being a manager, an agent is largely just being a personal assistant. I think, whereas you used to be, you used yeah. to be the gatekeeper. Yeah, yeah. And it's the end of the gatekeeper, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I think, and I think there's so much more knowledge out there now on the internet that people can find out about yeah. what they need to do. How They can directly, you know, you know, go to a promoter. They can actually, yeah. you know, for a festival, you can actually promote the promoter. All right, there's certain things you need to do, but, you know, an artist can be quite sad with their merchandise and get their website running, they can get their social media going. Like you say, it comes to a certain deal, but there's not many deals going around that they're going to sign to a million pound contract of a major label. Get a lawyer. So, get, you know, pay a lawyer a one-off fee to negotiate it. Fine. Exactly. I've got this deal. You know, Mr. Mr. Lovely Label down the road is offering me this amount of money and I need a great entertainment attorney. So you just, they just go and sort it out for you. Exactly. And, and so, you know, and that's the thing. It's just like, and you can see it. That's why the, the sites like OnlyFans do really well, etc. because you don't need all the middleman of the Playboy magazines or the Hustlers or the Penthouses or whatever to give you to an audience. You can go directly to an audience. And it's just like, it is. And so the bit I'm interested in personally uh, is that I like to add value to individuals. So I deal with a lot of people in that kind of Instagram space and YouTube space. And I'm just like yeah. adding a bit of topspin so that within the sphere they're in, they generate more traffic, they sell more merchandise. And so that's how I'm useful to them. So I like to yeah. add the little, I like to add the little je ne sais quoi kind of element to people just to make them a bit more palatable, attractive, etc. What I did then, so that's my coaching business. But what I've done is, is that I do think that that's the only, 
that's the only real business left is that retail business of selling uh, skills. And so I, I owned entertainmentcoach.com for the last sort of 10 years or whatever, but because I've got my own Paul Dudridge thing going, I never really used it and it was dormant. And so pandemic and all that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah. I'd, yeah. Had, I'd been kicking around this idea of turning, are you aware of like the website Fiverr? Yes. Okay. Yes. So people kind of get their graphics yeah. and their editing and all that kind of yeah. stuff. And it's a fantastic thing. Yeah. And I just basically, I created the similar thing for the arts, you know, and that's what entertainmentcoach.com is. It's just like, you know, anybody with any kind of skill selling that skill, you know, you, you book like a juggler or you book, you know, pretty much it's, it's actors initially is the main kind of thing, but you book an actor to, uh, coach you through an audition or to do your online acting classes, that kind of thing. But it, it, entertainmentcoach.com, we just uh, connect people live with a coach of their choice. So you've got people in, you know, Kuala Lumpur can take an acting class with somebody in New York, you know, you just yeah, book them, yeah, yeah. you synchronize yeah. the availability, you get sent a link and you've got a live link to that person. We don't even use yeah. Zoom. We've got our own sort of proprietorial or proprietary uh, camera system, whatever they call it. Uh, and so, yeah, it was to turn the world of acting coaching into more like a Fiverr kind of thing. Like Uber for acting coaches is kind of a good way to think about it. Yeah, no, no yeah. it's not me yeah. on there. Uh, I am actually on no. there, but it's not solely me. It's just as I think. No, 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 no. But uh, we're at the beta testing stage of all that. I think we've still, we've still got like 300 odd people have joined up, which is hilarious because okay. we haven't really rolled it out. But, you know, <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm just dealing with the, I've just having a redesign done now. So in four days we get the new artwork. And so it's going to look a bit more like, uh, it's going to look a bit like uh, I haven't made it is the point. It's going to look nice. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you're saying. I know. You know? And I and I think, you know, touching on what you said earlier as, as well, Paul, you know, some of the A-listers you, you're obviously working with, just a really an interesting question for me is how do they feel the industry's changing? Do they still feel they have to stay with an agent because obviously they get blocked out of deals or, or new TV shows or new films? How do they feel it's working for them at the moment? They definitely don't. No, they definitely don't. I think, and I think that's been for the, like the last five years you've really seen it. Yeah. They, I mean, famously, like Bill Murray, for instance, I mean, he is such a good bellwether of the whole world climate, you know? Yeah. Famously, he's just got a, a 1-800 number to book him, you know, and if he's walking <laughs> past the phone, he'll answer it, you know? So, he's always been of that mind um but yeah I, I look again the difference between la and um and london is that the every single there you know there are people here who've got the first dollar that they ever earned you know what i mean every single dime is accounted for here yeah, yeah. So if they're looking at their own personal line budget and realizing that they don't need to be paying this guy 10%, the, the offers are coming yeah. directly to them anyway. It's like, yeah, they're pretty much refreshed out of the schedule. So yeah, to answer your question, yeah, they have, they have realized that no, it's better to pay a lawyer separately. It's better to pay, you know, they'll keep their publicist because that makes sense. Yes. And they'll yes. keep, uh, and, and, and that's what I'm saying now, weirdly, my stupid little bag of skills is more in demand because people just want to pay me and then I go away. I don't want to be part of your life for the next 20 years. I don't want to get 15% commission. No, you pay me no. a lump of dough and I will keep getting you match fit, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's quite relevant because I got told that probably 20 years ago when I came into the, you start working for record companies and then a friend of mine, um, basically he had a, 
an imprint label that was owned by Sony, and they, you know, they did some really good stuff. And he would always say to me, as soon as you start managing people, Pete, you're going to be babysitting people, and it's oh. really, really, really difficult. And I took me a while to understand that, Paul, to be honest <laughs> with you. And I got to 2007, and I think I just, you know, some of the lads I was working with, and you know, one of the other managers I was working with, he had a roster of 15, 20 acts, and he got fed up, and it just, it's just hard work. And then I sort of built my... I suppose I can call it empire, but what we did within festivals and, you know, people will come to me and say, Oh, you know, you're putting sort of 20, 25,000 people in a field. You know, why is my ticket $200? Well, yeah. you see that staging, mm. it costs X amount of money. Do you, um, do you see the acts that come on stage? If I'm dealing with you, Paul, for, you know, big headline acts, you know, they, they don't just turn up and I pay you on the day. I pay you six months in advance, Absolutely. you know. Absolutely. And people don't understand. I said to one of my mates one time, I think he went to see, um, it might have been the Reading and Leeds Festival or something like that, and a massive act. And he came back to me and he said, oh, you know, they're, they're really good, but what sort of money are we talking about? I said, millions. Yeah. I said, you know, millions. I said, you know, I can't put a figure on it, but I said, I can't, but it, it's a lot of money. And I said, that money's paid before they step on stage yep. six months prior. Yep. And he couldn't get his head around it. Yeah. And I said, that's why your ticket's $250 to come, <laughs> exactly. to, uh, come to a festival. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I said, you know, it, I might have a great relationship with you where you might say, okay, Pete, you, you know, you, you've done us a good deal. I can give you three months grace on this, pay me at the end of three. Great, you know, the sort yeah. of deals you can do. But at the end of the day, you need your money. 100%. Because you've got to pay your client that's going to come on stage. And sell me 10,000 tickets. Yeah. It's quite simple. And I think that's the mechanics of what, you know, what, what she's interested. Well, it's true. I mean, I, 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 genuinely, I sort of always felt for the people in the music industry because, again, I think that you got this shockwave earlier. You got the the thing with streaming before the rest of the yeah. industry. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And you're yeah. not really supported by anybody. That's the thing. You know, the fact of the matter, why do so few British acts do well in America? It's because they're rubbish and the their work isn't very good. And there's a few exceptions. I mean, Gervais is a genius. He's a genuine genius and the proof of the pudding's in the eating. But yeah, yeah. we don't really have management per se that rivals the music business. In, in the comedy and entertainment world, it's just management really is, can you get me a deal at the BBC or Channel 4? That's kind of it. You know, yeah, and from yeah. that you can yeah. sell uh, arena tickets. That's that's the that's the extent. That's all it is. And again, that brings us back to the beginning. My why I'm so irked by the BBC and the license fee. It is just it's like the BBC should be taking stock in every one of these major comedians who absolutely owns owes their arena uh, tickets to them. You know, as far as I'm concerned. We're being, yeah. you know, we're yeah. being forced to pay 160 quid a year to pay for people to get famous, so that then they can charge us 30 quid to go to Docklands. You know, <laughs> it's, <laughs> you know, but yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but I'm saying I, I think that the uh, the music business, the management in the music business is proper management. I think that um, the the management for everything else, entertainment and comedy, is more like a dating service. It's more like a kind of an arranged marriage thing. You've got, I mean, this, the, the money at the BBC, I, I go on about it, but, you know, I was making annually retentive and they were saying, like, it's, this is BBC Three and we were getting 150,000 views, you know what I mean? It's just like, but it was, it was, I don't mind saying what the budget was, it was 
pounds an episode, an episode. All right. And I would be going like, I could make this for 50, 60,000. They went, no, it's 170,000 pounds an episode. And then they came back and I'm like, okay. Then they came back and said, okay, we're trying, we're trying this new digital launch as well. So we, we, you know, it was the beginning, it was 2006, they were getting um, a crossover with the internet. And they said, so, so now the budget's 210,000 an episode. (laughs) It was just like, okay, you know? And so literally you've got, and this is the thing, this is why you see comedians, you know, when you get things like talkback being sold and all this kind of um, stuff, they're being yeah. sold yeah, for yeah. like 80, 90 million pounds. And this is 20 odd years ago, you know? That's not because they are doing some, they haven't built a better mousetrap. They literally just have an open, po- a, a open purchase order with the BBC. Every one of those tapes was paid for by the BBC and just got turned into property of a private company in a conceit that somehow they're selling, they're making a show as artisans and selling it to this corporation. It's absolute nonsense. It's, we're, we've, got, we've got people creating fiefdoms on BBC money in the UK. And we've got a, and this is what I believe you've experienced with the Brexit vote, with everything. I think you've just got a political yeah. class yeah, there yeah. that's being funded by the yeah. BBC. And it's not accountable. Yeah. And I don't think you have that in the music industry is my point. I think in the music industry, you actually have to scrap for every pound you earn, you know? Yeah, yeah, it, it is. It is, um, And also as well, no one really does you, I'm not saying anyone should do you a favour, but it can be no one wants to do you a favour. So, you know, you, you want to put a show on, you have to go and pay for it, and then you either take the losses or the, or, yeah. or, or the proud with it. And the thing is, touching on the point about management and the music, there's so many facets you have to, you know, streaming, publishing. I mean, publishing in itself, Paul, is just a minefield. And, you know, I'm lucky I work with some really great managers. My business partner, she's really, you know, high up in music supervision and she really understands publishing but that in itself is a career in itself to understand what a publisher does and how you play oh, yeah. songs and no, how it's, it's a, it really is an art form it, it, yeah. it's one of the only art forms that's never going to go yeah. it's never going to go and that's why we sin um i know we sort of diverse a little bit but it's why we send so many artists now that will actually put their music into film and tv because that's the gravy train because yeah, that yeah, song can actually blow up in a, in a tv show or or a or a Hollywood movie. Completely. Um, I mean, really, that takes me on to, obviously, you've worked with some great people as well in Hollywood, you know, look at Sarah, Susan Sarandon, Selma Blair, Sharon Stone. How did those projects come about, Paul? And, you know, were you the producer of them? Did you finance them? You know, what, what, how did that sort of all come about? Uh, yeah, well, that one, that was a film called Mothers and Daughters, which I made. And, no, I directed that. Um, okay. Um, um uh, I actually, I actually ended up getting co-directing. I brought this guy in, and you know, he was basically setting up the shots, and I was just doing the actors. But, um, uh, but I, yeah, I'm di- I was director. I, I created the idea for it, and it just turned into something different to what I'd envisaged. So I was doing the whole thing again. This was 2015, I think, and yeah, I just yeah. had this yeah. idea of getting Hollywood A-listers and doing the whole film on Skype, basically. Yeah, and then yeah. yeah. You know, um, Susan Sarandon, God Lover, came and did the first scene for me, and that brought in everybody else because she's a genius. And um, and so, but then money got involved, and so then I kind of it's it's weird. I had the whole, I had the full Hollywood experience. You know, people came in, massively funded it. I'm not complaining about financial end of it. But they no. just wrote a completely different film. I stayed on as director, but it wasn't the film I'd envisaged. So somebody else wrote the script. I wrote one scene from it. 
the one I yeah, call the yeah. best scene. But no, I um, I wrote one scene in it. <laughs> and um, But then it turned into something else, and it turned into more of a kind of a traditional kind of narrative. Yeah. But yeah. to be yeah. honest, it was just, uh, it was a privilege to work with, like, proper uh, A-listers. I mean, just, like, the best of Sharon Stone, um, as you say, yeah. Selma Blair, yeah. Christina Ritchie. Yeah. Courtney yeah, yeah, Cox yeah. was in yeah. it. Um, yeah, yeah, but yeah, just it was a blast. Yeah, I mean, Susan Sarandon has been one of my favourite actresses for you know long, long time. Mm. Yeah, just a, just a great opportunity, and I think I think that's what always makes me have to laugh as well because most of the money within film comes out of Hollywood. It comes out of the US. Yeah, when you're talking about producing British movies or European, you know, it's very, very difficult. Mm. It's an extremely difficult area to go down well again because it's tied up by the bbc and channel this is the problem we hand everything <laughs> over to an institution yeah. in britain we honestly think that if you went to a public school or oxbridge that you've got some insight it's garbage the whole thing's rigged this is oh does my head in does my head in completely <laughs> um so that that's why you know we don't have we don't have a film industry in britain per se we have Mufti for public school boys, no. you know, it's just, it's nonsense. It's just apps. Oh, that's my head in. And there are a few notable exceptions and we'll have the odd world oh, beater no. and we'll have somebody like Richard Curtis who can cut it with all the posh boys, yeah. but actually has a really, I mean, you know, God, to even be talking about him. I mean, it's just like he makes quality after quality, just genius, commercial, worldwide commercial yeah. Yeah, yeah. sensibility. He's the exception, not the rule. Yeah. It's just like, yeah. And what gets me is that British filmmakers, you'll read them and they kind of go like, you know, yeah, we don't want to just make it Hollywood. It's like, have you ever seen Iron Man? Iron Man's like one of the greatest performances on film ever. It's Shakespearean. You know, the guy is a genius. And what are we making? Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's, it's yeah. disgraceful. Yeah. And people are kind of, oh, they don't have irony in America. It's just like, have you ever seen like Woody Allen films? Have you ever seen any, you know, it's, it's, it's like... Oh, no. oh, it does oh, my no. head in, but th th there's a complacency because it doesn't see the thing is large. I think this is getting better. And finally, you know, God love Brexit, etc. It's um, finally we are <laughs> flushing that kind of culture yeah. out of the pipes, you know, uh, we're, we're, you yeah. know, people are being yeah. made to account for themselves. It isn't just a complacent kind of um ruling class any longer no. which I, I really i really like to see but you know i i mean just my for my own i've i've never you know, i've obviously never made anything as it, that touches anything like somebody like ricky gervais has done or you know any of the even richard curtis and stuff any of those names I, i'm such an opportunist and i'm just like a bystander at lots of other great events that's fine by me but I do find myself in a position where, like I said, I can add value to individual artists, but I can also just whinge about yeah. the fact that you're being ripped yeah. off all the time. You know, that's kind of my, and that's one of the reasons I didn't, I really wasn't a great fit in London in the two in the nineties and two thousands, just being the one ultra right wing Tory. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I'm just like, no, cause you're, so, you know, yeah, yeah. I was approached yeah. by the conservatives at the time, actually, they wanted me to write speeches for them, but then it's true. And then, um, <laughs> yeah, Ian Duncan Smith, I was approached by Ian Duncan Smith's really? office just very casually and formally because I was the only one that would be open. Cause I think it was, I think Stephen Fry was starting to, I, I can't, again, I'm no Stephen Fry, but they couldn't find yes, a Tory. Yes, yes. 
who was part of the contemporary kind of comedy scene. And it was just me and I got taken out to lunch and it's like, and I was like, yeah, I'll definitely write speeches for him. I'd love that. And then, and then he basically wasn't around much longer, which was a shame. No, no, no. My sort of mentor, it was mentor sort of advisor really years and years ago, worked for the government. And um, when I first started in business and he sort of got put with me and I learned that he was, you know, quite high up as a a government official and he used to write, you know, speeches for ministers and even prime minister at the time. And I learned an awful lot from him. And it's a funny story, really, Paul. I um, went on to create what was called New Deal for the Media. I don't know if you remember back in the 90s, but the Labour government created New Deal for Musicians. And what they were trying to do was to actually, you know, wave their flag and say, this is all great, we're doing something for creativity. And I thought, okay, but you're never going to create the next big act because the industry was, it's just difficult to go on to create the next U2 or the next you know, out on John, it, it wasn't there. Mm. So we come out of allied industries and that's what I did. And I basically would go in and, and I sold it to government and said, okay, what you need to do, you've got, you know, you've got this, but I think you need allied industries and you need to give young people the opportunity mm-hmm. to become a music manager or, you know, agent or publicist or whatever. And the light bulb went on, ran it for three years, done a really good, you know, loved it. We, we, we did really well. We got Entrepreneur of the Year a couple of years running, which we were really proud of. Oh and then we had God. to tender yeah. for it again. That was fine. We put the tender in. Oh, yeah, this story's hilarious. We put the tender in. I get a call from one of the officials saying we got the best tender. I get called into a meeting. And then suddenly it goes to another local authority that have, uh, control, because um, they can yeah. control housing and they can control people's welfare and they can control alcoholism. And they know everything about this, this, they know everything about the music industry. And I sat there and went, so we're losing the contract based on someone in an office yeah. thinks they yeah, know yeah. more than us. Where we, and I just, I thought, okay. And I went back to my advisor, John at the time, who was still at government. And he said, Pete, that's why you'd never succeed in government because you would just yeah. pick up chairs, throw them yeah. and have big arguments with people basically. But it taught me a lot back at, back in that time. It did teach me a lot, but no, it's very eye opening, isn't it? When you, when you sort of see how these institutions are actually run again, I, I'm wary. I don't ever want to come across as a crank because there's so many other worse qualities I have that you can really no. kind of have a go at, but it's, um, it, it, I just said, I just keep coming back to it. The whole thing's rigged. It's just absolutely rigged. And I uh, can't not agree with that. Yeah. I mean, would you, I know you've been in LA a long time. Do you, have you been back to the UK? Would you come back and live? What, you know, I do. I bring the kids back. We, I bring them to, I, I you know, um, notwithstanding pandemics, we, uh, I bring the kids back for the pantomime at the Palladium every year. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, we like doing that at Christmas, oh, okay? Because uh, it'd be ridiculous in summer; they're not on, so it's just a bit of a wasted ticket. But um, very <laughs> no. much, if you're going to go to a panto, do try to go to one of the Christmas ones. Yeah, no, yeah. I. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, we do. I do. I, you know, I. We do harbour some kind of idea that we're going. To, we've nearly moved back to England so many times with the kids, just to kind of wipe that smile off their face. You know what I mean? Just to. <laughs> Because <laughs> how old are your children? Are they, are they quite young? Are they sort of eight school? And nine. That, you know. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. And Girl s- and boy, or, or? T- you know, no? Yeah, I was going to say two children, a child and a boy. <laughs> no, it's um, two girls. Yeah, two girls. Oh wow. Yeah. Oh cool. It's, cool. Um, yeah. Well, that's what they say, isn't it? I've got two children, a boy and a child. 
Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, well, now you've got, you got two daughters. It's called, Dad, I'm getting married. Can you get your checkbook? Out? Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so it's, um, it, it's, yeah. it's, I mean, you know, I just, I really, really love California. So I do come back. I do, um, yeah. I do Bob Mills's yeah. show until they quite rightly get rid of me. For about the last 18 months, I've been doing um, I'm the American correspondent or the US politics correspondent on talk radio. And now it's every Sunday at like 3 p.m. I just do a little sort of 10 minute slot where yeah, I just go yeah, on yeah. how brilliant Trump is and how everything else is terrible. And um, <laughs> they indulge me. But I, so I do that. And, and, you know, I do get... I'm never like homesick or nostalgic. I mean, I even moved my mother out here. My mother, we built her a house in the backyard, and um, against planning permission, and it was fantastic. It's, wow, it's, well, that's what you're doing there. It's you know? too. But you can. <laughs> How did your mum like? Did your mum like? Does she like it? Does she like living in LA? Never asked her, to be honest. She's old. I'm stronger than her. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? It's just like, I'm not, are you interested in her opinions? I'm not, but I live with her. No, um, I'm assuming she's fine. I'm assuming she's fine. You know, the, 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 the the crying stopped, but, um, but uh, no, she loves it. She loves it. I mean, you know, she's in the old people's, you know, she's like, you know, it's like having like an iguana or something. She's got, it's the equivalent of a heat lamp. You know, she's there. She's uh, she's warm. That's all they want at that age. It's just warmth and no cardigan. Exactly. No, there's nothing, nothing wrong with that. And I mean, you touched on sort of politics and that with your own podcast. I mean, are you sort of um, you just got a great love for politics, or you just? Yeah. Well, that's the see. This is the irony of the whole thing yeah. again, because I'm so white trash, and you know, went to a comp and everything, and I got a chip on my shoulder. I never got. I never did anything properly. So. I would have much preferred, you see, that's what I'm saying. I fell into comedy. What I'd have loved to have done if I'd had half a brain was kind of go, you know, actually pay attention in school and do a PPE and kind of end up as some junior um, sort of secretary or something. But um, no, politics is the thing. That's my, that's my comedy, basically. That's where I really, that's my entertainment. So comedy for me is very much work. uh, or, or the whole of the entertainment industry, really. It's like, that's, uh, I've, I've, yeah. I'm happy that that's a job, but it's a job. Uh, it's not what I do for recreation. For recreation, it's always been uh, politics. I mean, I was the kid that would get up on Sunday morning to watch, like, Weekend World and stuff, you know? It's just like, yeah. you know, these these long-lost kind of dry political shows. I really, really love it. So I, I love the whole sport of, I mean, they say it's politics is showbiz for ugly people, you know? <laughs> and, yeah. and it, but I work with them again because of my coaching thing. I'm now working with, I've got about four politicians across the, because I did a series about two years ago leading up to the, uh, the 2020 election. And uh, it was just called Election 2020, Meet the Candidates. And so I basically, yeah. Yeah. not even many Americans realize this, but, you know, about every four years, about a thousand people register to run for president. And everybody thinks it's like five or six people maximum, but it's like a thousand people because all it takes is you can go online and download a PDF, fill it in, and that's it. You are registered to run for president. (laughs) Okay. And yeah, and so I wanted to talk to them, basically. I wanted to interview them. So I did this uh, podcast series. I got to about 100 of them, something like that we made. But just I interviewed them and I treated them quite respectfully and treated them, you know, as the legitimate candidates they are. And it was fantastic. You just get 
all sorts of people with all sorts of um, special interests, shall we say, from you know, like UFOs yeah. to exposing the yeah. FBI to, you know, just allowing yeah, yeah. horses to marry and stuff. It's just, it was... But anyway, it was. It's a really interesting democracy, the US. It's 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 largely working, and so I um I I just like cataloging that. But so I did that, and then through that, I met a lot of um the kind of the Republicans, a lot of the Republicans, and I've got a couple of Democrats. But I I, I do the same kind of coaching for them, and just add that sort of top spin, you know. Yeah, just put a bit of I suppose sprinkle dust on the top, something like that. Yeah, exactly. Look, I just, I just think there's, it's really interesting. Like somebody like McIntyre, McIntyre, I saw at Jonglers, and I was with a journalist. I was dating a journalist at the time. It's great because it's actually recorded somewhere in the annals of history. That um, the first time I saw McIntyre, he was doing like a ten minute. I think it was a half spot, but it could have been an unpaid. But he was on, and I just, um, I, I was watching his act, and I got up and I just said to my date. I'm going to have to go backstage and talk to him. And she went, I don't think he was very good. And I was like, oh, no, no, he's going to be the biggest ever, you know, because it was just so apparent. That guy's persona is, I mean, he's got one of the great personalities on earth, McIntyre, but coupled with even, you know, he hasn't changed, you know, the, the jokes, he was always, he was always very precise in language, you know? and would find a joke where other people can't see jokes this is the, the that's what his genius is i think as a comedian and a comedy writer he sees jokes that others have overlooked you know and i know mandrel has yeah. become very famous that's kind of after my time but he was i mean at this open spot and i'm gonna not do it justice but at this open spot that he was doing when i first saw him he was just going this is like a complete unknown to this jongler's audience just uh, you know at late show or whatever just going he said um he said uh you know in mainstream comedy you know there's a conceit that irish people are stupid and he said an alternative <laughs> comedy we don't have but let's look at the evidence he said they live on an island called ireland and spell it wrong you know and i'm like <laughs> just the audacity i just thought it was fantastically audacious because you know he's, a, he's supposed to be up there you know supporting the miners or the dockers or whatever it was that week and he yeah, you know yeah, yeah. Uh, and so anyway yeah. so he he always had that and so for me it was just you know this guy is the best and it's you know now for, you know and again i was not you know i definitely never was the best manager or anything i could do that one bit which is spot somebody add a bit of rocket fuel to them and sort of let them go but i was never interested particularly in the long hall with people i just i get off on that one bit just finding somebody that nobody else has spotted yeah but and that's the same thing so i just think that if you i've got this i'm being pinged all the time by this actress and i can't say her name now but she's just but she's up for like four major shows and a movie and we've done this in two months and she's a complete unknown and our paths crossed and i was just like oh yeah you're doing this wrong you're just going so i took away a couple of her tells if you like yeah yeah yeah. suddenly she is in meetings for everything and like this is an unknown and suddenly she's in play and she keeps interrupting our meeting because she's sending over auditions um but but it's it's you know you tinker with people and you can make them super attractive and it's that that is kind of what i'm interested in you know and like i said mcintyre had it in spades with nothing to do with me at all just he's always had it in spades you know do you still um do you still keep in contact with with Rob and, and, and Michael? Do you sort of no. you know, any 
nothing at all? No, 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 no. I just like, I told you nobody likes me. Nobody likes me. It's, <laughs> I, I swear to God, I am just like, you know. But you see, what was interesting, what was interesting, and kind of, uh, so Jack Whitehall came after my time. So I left in 2007 yeah. and I think he got famous. Yeah. 2010 something like that yeah started. something like that yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's interesting because his dad was a, a famous agent you know and it was really nice because you know you do you gotta understand you know i don't give 10 years of my work life to somebody because i don't care about them you know you really no, you, no, you no, love no, no. people you know yeah. but it's um but it was interesting that jack whitehall doing an interview and he said he would have all these celebrities coming to his house because his dad was an agent when he was a kid and you know people and then he said yeah. and then we'd never hear from them again and like then they were basically persona non grata forever you know or we were off the christmas card list and that was his experience of growing up with an agent and it was just like yeah, yeah that's kind of it you know it's like you know you you part company so my you know the final because i left and because i didn't want to be an agent anymore certain people i represented didn't yeah. like that you know they, they they kind of assume that you're part of the furniture forever but me just going like i don't want to work with you anymore i'm i want to do something else anything else frankly it's just that they take it quite badly um but it was like i said that jack whitehall interview was i found very kind of uh, reassuring because oh it's not just me then it's just it's part of the whole no. thing and so i'm I, it reinforces why i'm glad i don't uh, i don't work in that business model anymore selling advice no. And then having people, I basically now sympathize with people's management because it's just like, you know, they're coming to me and slagging you off basically behind your back, you know, and talking to other agents and all that kind of stuff. I've got, you know, I'm just an advisor, so I don't get involved. I just tell them how to shine, you know, but I do feel for people that have invested years into artists that come to me that are looking for a bit of extra rocket fuel but they're about to jettison their agent or they're about they're, they're talking yeah. badly about somebody that's backed them when they were nobody you know yeah no 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 and also as well paul i mean looking at what you've done over the years and your sort of diverse background what's been what would you say has been the most rewarding part of your career to date that's a good question rewarding uh do you know what? I tell you what, I, I, I like, this is terrible. I like the movie I did together. Yeah. I, I like that. I think that's, that's nearly really good. It's, 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 it's good, but it's not great, but it's getting there. Was that with Peter Bowles? Peter Bowles, Peter Bowles and, and Sylvia Sims. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 I just wanted to make the most right wing film I could make and make it as mainstream as possible. And, um, I just sort of, it's about an elderly, it's called Together and it's on Amazon and you go to together65.com and you can rent it and et cetera. Have a look. But yeah, yeah. It, was just, it was just an elderly couple and yeah. their life is taken over by the state and the authorities, basically. But I, I just, um, I saw them as a little microcosm of what, and, and what's happened is this film came out, it had this massive release around the country, lots of, Lots of senior. I made it for seniors, basically. I made it specifically for seniors. It's like a horror film, but just for the senior citizens. Um, because <laughs> okay. the thing that... Well, if you talk to people over a certain age, over 70 or whatever, they're not afraid of vampires and mummies no, and stuff. No. What they're afraid no. of is having their liberties taken away, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and being a burden and being treated as if they're a package, you know, all yeah. this kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. so I just thought, like, well, let's just max max that out completely and just have them totally beset by the state, you know? And um, 
but anyway, but so that kind of thing had its little natural life a couple of years ago. But then it started doing really well in the States on DVD, uh, like really well. And so something about the way people were being treated during COVID and the, the way the governments have behaved towards their citizens during COVID must have struck, struck a chord, I hope, about how people are just kind of, uh, uh, you're, you're not treated as an individual any longer and you're yeah, not treated yeah. as if you have agency yeah. and so anyway <laughs> yeah so this you know this thing started to, so i've basically re-released it we started a re-release a couple of months ago and um we're just consistently pushing it now and it's got it's interesting because it's a, a film made for the seniors audience it's sort of it's a perennial now they're they're coming back yeah. and you know it's doing yeah. great business on facebook it's it, it's just it's just a really nice, so that's probably the most rewarding because like I said, that's the nearest to what I want to have out there is, you know, I'm just very, I'm just very ultra conservative and I'm very mindful of how much propaganda there is in sort of state funded institutions, certainly in the UK. Um, and people still haven't, they're still resisting, if you like, you know, they still haven't completely bought yeah, yeah. it. Um, but yeah. we just don't on on my side. I can't speak for you, but on my side of politics, we don't have enough. Um, you know, the comedy is much better on the left. It's much much better. It's just the content's yeah. wrong. You know yeah. what I mean? But they yeah. do have much yeah. better work than we than people on my side have. The stuff on my side is usually garbage, but it's catching <laughs> up. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, no, I understand. I understand what you're saying. I think I, I think that just comes with age as well. I think the older we get, you look at stuff differently, and you think. Would I do that again? Not sure. Um, so yeah, I, I I completely agree with that. Really, I think you just got to look what's in front of you and try and do your best, and um, you know try and maximise it. It's difficult. It is difficult, yeah. but I think it takes a long time for people to catch up as well. Because some people yeah. are not ahead of the curve. Some people are ahead of the curve, mm -hmm. and you think people are not listening to me. And then when it comes around, and you think, well, I did tell you that, or no, I don't say that anymore. I just think I'll let people catch up, and then they go, oh. That was a bit difficult. Did you encounter that? Yeah, yeah about yeah, two yeah. years ago. You know, but it, it, it is difficult. And I think with entertainment as well, Paul, what would, what would you change about entertainment today? Is there any one thing that's glaring that you go, do you know what, that just needs to get sorted? I, I'd defund the BBC. I think that's, yeah. the, that's the big one. I would defund the BBC. I think you would have an actual culture change there. The idea that you've got an unaccountable three and a half billion pounds a year um, political class running the cultural propaganda in the uh, UK is a huge, I mean, it's like the Death Star or something, you know? Yeah. And, and just because occasionally you get like a, a documentary about a raccoon with David Attenborough, it's not justifying for me the idea that you have state-funded propaganda. So yeah, yeah, genuinely, I think, because I think that that's the black hole at the centre of the whole. I mean, you know, how much the BBC pays, the BBC has to pay for records to be played on Radio 1. It's just, yeah. like, that always baffled me. It's like, that's a commercial, that's a free commercial. No, 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 we must pay. And it yeah. must come out yeah. of your pension. Madness. Yeah. It's just absolute madness. But what it does, none of those people at the BBC, I used to have to go in for BBC meetings and stuff. And like I said, I can't stress enough, the people were lovely, the producers and the commissioners, they really did take their job seriously. They, they, they aren't inherently um, sort of malicious people, but you're in a malicious no, system. No, no, no. And no. so, 
you know, I've been in meetings where they would, you know, I'd be talking about challenging climate change at the time and stuff. And they would like, even at then, the mid 2000s, they'd be going, the science is settled. The science is settled. And it's like, well, it ain't. I mean, people are still debating it, you know? <laughs> and it's the unaccountability. Yeah. If you don't ever fear that you might lose your job or your pension or your income, or if you, if you haven't got that built into your economic system, what you have is a fiefdom. What you have is, yeah. um, a, a, you have a ruling class, you have an unaccountable ruling class. And that's what we have. And the voices that are most uh, strongly in support of that are part of it. I mean, it's the, it's the most extraordinary thing. I still, you know, but it, this isn't a recent revelation with me. I've been complaining about this while, even while I was there, you know what I mean? So I do give myself yeah, some yeah, yeah. kudos for that. But yeah, I think that, I think that's the big one. I don't like unaccountability in a business. And it, it goes to the thing of LA. I think one of the reasons I find that LA and California and the United States works is because it's not in your interest to shaft somebody because you might actually need them a week later for a deal. Yeah. But if you yeah. are... If you are taken on by the BBC in the early 90s, you can be there for the next 30, 40 years. You need never even lower your window of your limousine as you're being driven to your TV show to even take account of what's going on outside. So when you've got BBC stars calling people like Brexit voters idiots, you know, and for me, that's the, that's the epitome of the cultural rift that's been created because you have uh, a whole building full of Marie Antoinette's asking, can't they eat cake, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, no. I, I think I think the time is probably coming. I think with so many streaming platforms as well. Yeah. Um, I think even with the big music streaming platforms, you know, say some, but probably all the record companies are a little bit wary of that to a point because of what's going on. So I think, yeah, change is coming. And I think you've got so much choice now on... Yeah on tv you you know you don't actually watch tv in in the corner of a room anymore you watch it on a bus in a gym on your phone wherever you want to watch it so i think exactly. you know i think that will i think that time will actually come um, can i do one plug before you get rid of me which is absolutely your birthright go on can i just reiterate this is this entertainmentcoach.com yeah, um, yeah just, of course. Just anybody. See, this is the thing. What we're getting a lot of is people who've been working in the industry for years and can't make a living for pandemic or, you know, whatever reason, but they've yep. got tons of skills. Register with entertainmentcoach.com and you basically, it's like being an Uber driver, but selling your artistic skills. And that's everything from live performers. So even agents and um, PR people and stuff are signing for it because it's a way of selling yourself as a consultant and as an acting coach and as a juggler even, or a magician or whatever. It's a way of actually selling your skills uh, to anybody that's interested in actually hiring your services. So it's, uh, I just want to clarify that because I was uh, almost making it sound like it's more, geared at the students which obviously it is but that's uh, that's in the next wave of branding that's coming down it's like i want as many people that have got skills who want to make some you know a side hustle basically um yeah no 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 i, I can i i actually think it's part of the future as well and mm. um it, it, i say it could be interesting to talk to you further about this because we're launching on our side um how to put a festival and an event together yeah no i checked your stuff i mean you're on the same tip basically it is like look it's the how-to is the is the only oh well it's not the only 
but it is a viable retail outlet now selling the information of how to yeah. do it as opposed to it being yeah. some mystery that can only be done by you know uh, yeah. good people at reading yeah. or whatever well he, he also as well um paul as we go forward and we launch the stuff that we do be good one we're going to do master classes and different people in the music yeah. industry and and across entertainment so it'd be really great to bring you on you know for what you've done i think i also think sometimes that reality check as well just saying look we've got a master class we're talking about this you know sign up this is what we're going to be doing and i think it works because i've i've been on panels or have attended panels with great music industry people and they've just said it how it is and some people walk away and they go oh that was really you know that was great i took that on board and some people go oh i'm not any good then no you just got to understand what they're trying to say to you well i i, I bring in the the third wave which is you don't know what he's talking about <laughs> which is hilarious <laughs> He's an idiot. <laughs> it's just like, I've still got people now, 25 years later, trying to prove me wrong. I'm like, no, no, it's, no, right. no, no. it's a nightmare. Well, unfortunately, we have come to the end of our chat today, Paul, but it's been a pleasure, Paul, to chat with you today. Thanks for your time. Oh, thanks for having me on, man. I really genuinely, I genuinely like what you're doing. You're, it, it's <laughs> nice to... We're, we're definitely at the... Um, the uh, the beginning of being able to it's a kind of slightly reframing of uh, how you can monetize the industry so it's interesting that um, the work you're doing so yeah it's good well that's all for today's episode of the entertainment engine and thanks for listening join us again next week for more great guest interviews from the world of entertainment it would be great to have your feedback on the show. So please drop us a message at any time. We would love to hear from you. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favourite podcast platforms so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening to the show. And remember to all stay safe. The Entertainment Engine.